Hello. You've now joined us for episode one of the November 2022 BV online podcast, your slice of genuine Dorset life. Welcome from me, Jenny Devitt. And me, Terry Bennett. In news this week, Dorset's pocket rocket, Ruby White, won gold in the EUBC Junior Boxing Championships in Italy back in September. How to offer a retirement home to elderly hens. Rachel Rowe tells us how a small corner of Somerset is producing the virtual cheese champions on a regular basis. Simon Hoare on the return of sensible organised government. North Dorset's Green Party's Ken Huggins calls for the environment to be put back on the top of the to-do list. Pat Osborne notes the change of PM but bemoans the same old circus. And Mike Chapman of the North Dorset Lib Dems explains why he thinks we need a general election now. But first, let's hear from the BV Online editor, Laura Hitchcock. When we launched the BV in 2020, we did so with a couple of guiding intentions, to connect communities fractured by a global pandemic and to provide much-needed support for fellow local small business owners. Along the way, we found our voice and no to the people that ask every single week we have never and will never print for so many reasons. Sharing our sense of place through the stories being lived out among us is the very core and foundation of everything we do. It is baked into every story that we share, and I hope we remain the unstinting champions of local businesses, charities and communities that we set out to be. Because today, the Bank of England has warned of the longest recession in 100 years. Interest rates have jumped again, anger-making for those trying to buy their first property, but genuinely frightening for so many who are not locked into a fixed rate or whose mortgage deal ends soon. And for those already struggling, the ever-climbing food bills are enough to cause prickles of anxiety at every supermarket shop. And we understand just how every local business owner is feeling at the moment. We know because we are them. The BV doesn't have shareholders or a handy millionaire owner with deep pockets. It's just us trying to make something good with the motley crew of brilliance who for some reason like us enough to stay. We do offer them the odd dry crust, obviously. We are not monsters. But nor are we here to make ourselves into millionaire owners either. We've been offering free services since we began. Death announcements just because it feels right. What's ons, likewise. Space for schools to share what the kids are doing. Support for as many charities as we can fit in. It's not the most profitable business model, but it's definitely the right one. And every month we go out and find your stories. The extraordinarily talented, the champions, the heroes, the winners, the just quietly getting honours. But we know there are so many more to tell. As in all things, we rely on the community to find them. Because we might talk to Bob, but Bob knows Marie's husband, Jeff, and Jeff went to school with Lucy, whose sister won four international awards for her designer knitted dormice mittens. So when Jeff tells you a weird story about mouse gloves, let us know, yes? Meantime, keep your eyes peeled. We're currently looking at ways we might be able to help our local small businesses this winter. Pop over to the Facebook group for a chat. Coffee's at 11. We're very fond of posh biscuits. News. Pocket Rocket Ruby is European champion. In September, Dorset teen Ruby White travelled to Italy to compete in the EUBC Junior Boxing Championship and she won gold. Laura Hitchcock reports. Ruby White, the 15-year-old Stallbridge teenager who stands just five foot tall, travelled as part of the England squad to Italy in September for a week-long knockout tournament and had four bouts in her under 48 kilos category. I think people underestimate me because of my size. They don't notice my power and my strength, she says. 
She won two of the bouts by stoppage. The quarter and semi-finals were won on points. I knew the semi would be the hardest opponent. I wasn't worried about beating her, but I knew she was the biggest challenge. She was strong, a good boxer. The others were easier? Ruby may have felt the semi was a tougher bout, but England Boxing's Matt Halfpenny reported on the final, Ruby arguably produced her best performance of the championships in the final with an outstanding showing against Azerbaijan's Namin Alizada. The Sturminster Newton Club boxer was quick out of the blocks, forcing two standing eight counts in the first round and a further count in the second before the ref stopped the contest to give the three Lions their first gold. BV readers may well remember Ruby, who was spotted as a seven-year-old by her coach, Sean Weeks, at his Sturminster Newton boxing gym. When she was 12, she participated in the biggest female amateur championship in Europe and won the Best Prospect Award. That was reported on in the BV in May 21. Later last year, she was selected at the England Boxing National Schools Championships as Female Boxer of the Tournament from all classes by the England Talent Coaches. That was in the BV in October last year. And she was invited to join the GB Pathways squad. Ruby's dream, since she first picked up a pair of boxing gloves, was to win gold at the Olympics in 2028. But amateur boxing has recently suffered a major blow with the announcement that the sport will not be included in the programme for the 2028 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. A 2021 independent investigation into the 2016 tournament in Rio de Janeiro confirmed more than 10 suspicious matches were likely corrupted as part of a bout manipulation scheme in place at the event. The report details how compliant and complicit referees and judges acting under a culture of fear, intimidation and obedience created by the Association Internationale de Boxe Amateur, the AIBA, corrupted the boxing tournament. An Olympic medal is the most coveted prize for any amateur boxer and has been the starting point for many of the big names in the professional ranks. Now a number of Olympic boxing teams, including Team GB, have taken to social media to start a campaign to ensure boxing is included in the programme for the 2028 Games. I always dreamed of being in the Olympics, says Ruby. I was so upset when I heard. My dream is maybe gone. Now the aim is that when I age into the youth category, I can go to the World Championships. Hopefully, I'll still be in the England squad when I go into seniors in 2026, and I can then box in the Commonwealth Games. With no Olympics, if I can get a Commonwealth title or win a world title, then that still gets me off to a good start when I turn professional. I don't want to go pro too early. You really need to win something big to start your career. But I have a feeling that boxing may be brought back. The 2028 Olympics are in Los Angeles and boxing is massive in America. Imagine having the Olympics in a country where it's one of the biggest national sports and not actually having any boxing in it. How does life as a normal teenager fit around such a dedication to her sport? When I'm in training camps, she says... Like the eight weeks I did in Sheffield every weekend in the lead-up to the European Championships, I can't do anything else. Ruby also said, but when I'm not at camp, I work Saturdays and Sundays, and I cover odd shifts during the week too. And of course, I get to see my mates. I'm going out tonight. 
I'm in year 11. It's the year we all go to parties. But yes, if I have a bout coming up, obviously I'm sensible. My friends are so proud of me, so supportive. They all watch my bouts and I never get any stick from anyone at school. Ruby acknowledges the impact on her family and on Sean too. It's not just the time taken up in driving me around, she says. The finance side is tough. I don't have a sponsor. We've set up a GoFundMe page, which I'm really grateful to people for donating through. It really helps. But when I have to travel to Sheffield for the GB training camps, it's £180 each trip just for the fuel. If it's just a one-day training session, there's no accommodation provided and it's a five-hour journey each way. And then, obviously, there's travelling for bouts, etc. We have to find that, plus any equipment I need. I do worry about it. With the massive rise in awareness around women's sport in 2022, does Ruby think the women's football team has helped the women's boxing audience? Yes, definitely, she says. The England team has such a big support system. They're all over every social media. And I love that meme this summer. Men? Football's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. Women, 60 years later, for goodness sake, I'll get it myself. I loved that. But the knock-on effect is that women's sport is finally becoming mainstream. It's not just football, it's rugby, cricket and in boxing. Sky Sports' main Saturday night fight in October was an all-women show for the first time and the O2 was packed. That just wouldn't have happened even a few years ago. Coach Sean agrees. Without a doubt, Ruby's prospects are very different from those she would have had even five or six years ago at the same stage. So what's next? I have a bout in November against a boxer from Switzerland, says Ruby. Then on the first weekend in December, I'm in another international tournament, the England Boxing Women's Winter Box Cup in Manchester. And if you feel you can help with sponsorship of Ruby or Sturminster ABC, let us know at the BV and we'll put you in touch. Give a hen a home. Ex-commercial hens are being given a happy retirement by local volunteer Hady. Do you have room for some girls? Rachel Rowe reports. Hady Mansfield has quite a job on her hands. She volunteers for the national charity Fresh Start for Hens and each year she helps rehome hundreds of ex-commercial chickens from her collection point near Sturminster Newton. Hady is one of around 100 volunteers at the charity. I'm part of the farm teams going in to collect hens that would be going for slaughter. The charity works hard to build relationships with producers, asking them to consider giving their hens a chance at retirement. Hady and her partner originally decided to rehome some hens to have their own steady supply of eggs, to be more self-sufficient. The hens happened to come from intensive commercial cages, and the chickens did not look good. Fleur had been trampled at the bottom of a crate, and Belle wasn't expected to survive the night, Hady said. But both made a dramatic transformation in Hady's care, and were the start of her journey to creating Belle and Fleur from her Sturminster Newton home, raising awareness and working to rescue intensively farmed chickens. There will be some who are puzzled by a retired hen. All laying hens are slaughtered at the age of 72 weeks, just as their production ability decreases. The carcasses are worth very little and are usually sold for dog food or cheap processed meat products. 
FSFH works closely with British farmers to buy the hens from the caged, barn and free-range systems just before their slaughter date. They are then rehomed with volunteers to live out their lives in comfort. Is there a reason a lot of these hens don't end up in our supermarkets? Laying hens do end up in the human food chain, said Hady, usually as cheap reclaimed meat or baby food and also as pet food but the hens from the intensive commercial systems are rarely in decent condition. Consumers often have misguided perceptions of happy hens in fields and open barns. That simply isn't the case for the majority of commercial egg-laying hens. As a result of tight margins and the low-driven pricing, feed quality is often reduced over the laying cycle, so by the end all the nutrition goes into producing eggs, and not into muscle, meat or feathers. So how many hens are there to potentially rehome? FSFH rehome about 70,000 hens, 3,000 ducks and 1,000 cockerels each year. In 2019, the industry estimate was 42 million laying hens in the UK. Chickens being rehomed through charities is a drop in the ocean. FSFH only rehomes to people wanting hens as pets or companion animals. The lucky ones find new homes in gardens, allotments and even residential care homes. While the hens obviously appreciate their newfound freedom, living it up in style, the rewards for their new owners come in the form of entertainment, as well as the companionship you might expect from a more typical cat or dog pet. You may even get some eggs. The charity will not rehome to people using the hens for commercial purposes, or those selling them on. If you are tempted to rehome a few hens, you will need some space, and they do like company. We advise a minimum of three hens are rehomed together, said Hady. For three birds, I would say a minimum of three metres by two metres for a run, with a height of two metres. That way you can have levels and some cover overhead. Also, access to some free-range time as often as possible. Hady currently has 10 rehomed hens herself and is clearly an advocate for the rehoming movement. It's an amazing experience. These rescue hens have taught me so much and have led me on this journey to raise awareness of the truth of the intensive egg industry. I am now vegan and proud that this transition has been inspired by learning the truth of what it means to be a laying hen in an intensive commercial system. The charity has animal and plant health agency approval for rehoming chickens and has reduced numbers in the light of current biosecurity restrictions. If you're tempted to welcoming some ladies into your lives, Hades' next rehoming date is the 19th of November. Register your interest on the Fresh Start for Hens website. And that's freshstartforhens, all one word, .co.uk. Why is a small corner of Somerset the Silicon Valley of cheese? For three consecutive years, the supreme champions at the Virtual Cheese Awards have come from within five miles of each other. Rachel Rowe reports. Cheese producers in a small corner of South Somerset are celebrating. The supreme champion of cheeses at the Virtual Cheese Awards, or the VCA, has come from the Templecombe and Wincanton area for the last three years. In fact, all the winners are based within five miles of each other and, to celebrate, have just launched a Supreme Champion hamper containing all those award-winning cheeses. Perfect gift for a cheese fan? The winning cheeses are Feltham Farms Renegade Monk 2020 
and La Fresca Margarita 2021 and Keane's Extra Mature Cheddar 2022. So what's going on? Penny Nagel from Feltham's Farm, which produces two of the Supreme Championship cheeses, explains the importance of the Virtual Cheese Awards and how they're transforming the artisanal cheese industry. They were started, she says, during the lockdown by Sarah DeWitt, who's worked in the cheese industry for years. During lockdown, everything was shut down, so there were no competitions for artisanal cheeses. Contests are one of the ways we test cheeses, but there was nothing in the pandemic. Small artisan cheesemakers typically don't have huge marketing budgets, so awards are very important to us, Penny says. There are now more than 400 British and Irish cheeses in the VCA Awards. All the cheeses are judged online, live, so you can see what's happening, and it's totally transparent. How can a cheese be judged online? Once the idea would have been laughed at, but it transpires it's absolutely possible and has transformed the world of the artisan cheesemaker. If you want to see for yourself, the judging is available on the VCA website. Who needs Netflix when you can watch cheeses being judged? However, there's a serious point to this way of promoting cheese. Says Sarah DeWitt, Normally, when judges are judging cheeses, they're in a room by themselves. You don't get to see what goes on, what's said. But these awards have turned the whole thing round. We work with cheese experts like Nigel Barden, and everything is recorded. People can see exactly what others are saying about the cheese, so you get this valuable feedback. And of course, if you're going to an awards ceremony, you can't take everyone. By doing it online, the whole farm or dairy can see and learn and celebrate. Penny also appreciates the learning from the VCA Awards. You can hear what people are saying about our cheese and the feedback from professional experts. It's an amazing system and you learn so much. The 2022 Supreme Champion Award went to the Extra Mature Cheddar from Keynes Cheddar, a fifth-generation cheesemaking family farm. So what is it about this corner of Somerset that produces Supreme Champions? George Keane talks about the alchemy of the cheesemaker. Cheese, he says, is fermented concentrated milk, and the alchemical skill of the cheesemaker is to capture all the quality of the milk in the cheese. Milk is so complex that a skilled cheesemaker can make any style of cheese just by managing the fermentation with temperature, drainage and time. However, no two cheesemakers will make the same cheese. It's all very personal. There must be something else for the supreme champions to be located so close. George has some thoughts on that. It might be the crops we can grow in the Blackmore Vale, which in turn produces the quality of milk that makes the best cheese, or the community of local artisan cheesemakers who inspire new styles of cheese, or perhaps just happenstance. Penny gave her own thoughts on the unique local success. We have this huge ecosystem here in Somerset where we can get the best milk right on our doorstep. There's also a creative vein with a lot of people interested in milk quality. Keynes have a wonderful heritage, whereas we at Feltham's are non-traditional cheesemakers. But we all need to be near the supply of milk. All our milk for Feltham's cheese is from a single herd at Godminster. We do still get variations in the milk, such as when cows are fed silage instead of grass. The milk really tells you what to do. We also have people around us who know about cheese, 
For example, Carolyn in the Truckle Truck is an evangelist for promoting cheese. That was in the BV Online in October last. And then we have excellent farm shops and supermarkets, such as the Udder Farm Shop, Kimber's, Dursleid, their honey is perfect with La Fresca Margarita, and Dykes. That local network keeps cheese going in the area. We also have brilliant cheesemakers. And finally, we have a good local council that knows how to fund and promote rural businesses and what they need. Somerset is the Silicon Valley of cheesemaking. It's an exceptional place for the industry. There's a fantastic milk field and it's high quality. So it's not surprising that all the cheesemakers are here. To order a Supreme Champions hamper, see the Feltham's Farm website. Politics. Just one comment. Sorry, politics is not a soap opera. A serious sense of purpose and a united, dedicated application has returned, says Simon Hoare, MP. Older readers may well recall the slightly disconcerting 1986 scene in the TV series Dallas, when Pam Ewing wakes up, enters her ensuite bathroom and finds her husband Bobby in the shower. The previous year, Bobby had been written out of the series, killed in a car accident. He returned, much to the surprise of viewers, and was met with declaring she had had a horrible dream. The period of his absence was immediately erased and life carried on as normal. Politics is a serious business. It can't just erase memories. Decisions made affect the lives of us all every day. Politics is not a soap opera. That said, it has somewhat felt like one over recent months, and for that I want to apologise. The government has not looked serious about discharging its important duties. The events of Partygate and Patterson combined to create a toxic environment in the country and in Parliament that led, as we know, to the fall of Boris Johnson. No returning Bobby in the shower moment for him. Over the summer, when the country was looking for answers, reassurance and support, the governmental pause button had been pressed while a new leader was elected. The short-lived trust government, more one-act tragedy than long-running soap opera, needs no further comment. Apart from one. Sorry. The principles that underpinned the mini-budget were basically the right ones. The UK needs to see sustainable growth. Individuals, rather than the state, know best how to support their families with their own money. Our tax system needs to be competitive in order to attract investment and so on. The principles were true, but the preparation and delivery were appalling, and the impact on mortgages and confidence made worse by its avoidability. While the markets are now steadier, the UK's reputation is repairing, and the government emanates an air of seriousness, a sense of purpose, and of dedicated application, I'm not so naive as to consider that all is either forgiven or forgotten. The government has a big job to do, and little time to do it in. The appointment of Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister and his retention of Jeremy Hunt at the Treasury are important reputational rebuilding foundations. The cabinet that Rishi has appointed represents all views and opinions across the Conservative Party, rather than being solely drawn in the narrow image of the leader. I firmly believe this will make for better decision-making and more robust scrutiny of policy. The mood of the parliamentary party is dramatically improved. Left, right and centre of the party are speaking to each other again, sometimes for the first time in many years. There is a sense of repurposing, focus and hell-bent determination to deliver. I know some people will be irritated and, in some sense, correctly saying the UK is more than just the Conservative Party. 
They are, of course, right. But my party did win a commanding majority over all the other parties in the House of Commons. We are right to recommit to repaying the trust the British people vested in us. Which brings me to a closing thought on the call of some for a general election. Given all the country has gone through since the new year, I really do remain to be convinced that the policy delivery vacuum of a drawn-out election campaign is in the interests of our country or our economy. The ship needs to be steadied and the course reaffirmed first. My second argument against a general election is that we have a representative parliamentary system, not a presidential one. No individual is elected directly as Prime Minister. As you will know, individuals standing under a party banner are elected to serve constituencies, and it's the sum of those results which puts a party over the line in order to form a government, that being more than 325 MPs. It's then a matter for the House of Commons to decide whether it has confidence in that party. My party has yet to lose a single vote in the Commons. If a confidence vote were held tomorrow, there would be a massive majority in favour of it. The King has asked Rishi Sunak to form a government. He has done so. He and it commands the confidence of Parliament. Let us not move any further to defining how our democracy works through the prism of personal presidential politics. The government has work to do to regain your trust. I will do all I can to help my party do so. Remembering the black hole roller coaster, it's time to grab the opportunity and place the environmental agenda back on the top of the to-do list, says North Dorset Green Party's Ken Huggins. I love roller coasters with their mash-up of anticipation, exhilaration and anxiety. There's something about their manic twists and turns, the grindingly slow climbs to a peak, followed by the gut-wrenching drop into a trough. Some have a corkscrew where briefly you don't know which way is up. An appropriate metaphor for the present state of UK politics, perhaps. But I'm also minded of another ride I remember, called the Black Hole. In near total darkness, it plummeted downwards at breakneck speed in a death spiral. After the crashing end to Truss's brief attempt at government, the hope was that Sunak would be a steadying influence as Prime Minister. That hope was rocked with the announcement of his new cabinet, which included the removal from cabinet meetings of Alok Sharma, the UK's president of COP26, and Climate Minister Graham Stewart. In spite of his previous promise to prioritise the environment, Sunak also announced that he would not attend the COP27 summit because of pressing domestic commitments. And it was confirmed that King Charles would remain effectively banned from attending the summit. This all sent totally the wrong message, that the environmental crisis can wait when the opposite is true. For decades, politicians have delayed taking action to tackle environmental issues, including our reliance on fossil fuels. This is now costing us dearly, especially those who can least afford it. The longer we leave it, the more it'll cost, in lives and livelihoods, as well as finance. Some argue that we can't afford action, but inaction will cost vastly more. Plus, we have a golden opportunity to rebuild the world economy in a truly sustainable way that focuses on quality of life, not on the accumulation of money and stuff. There has now, thankfully, been another screeching government U-turn, and Sunak will attend COP27 after all. Now the UK needs to lead international cooperation to take the actions needed to urgently address the environmental crisis. 
It's the most pressing issue of our time, and dealing with it properly can create a better life for us all. Let's get that roller coaster heading upwards. Is it a lack of competence or integrity? The ringmaster has changed, but it's the same old Tory circus with a worrying downgrade of climate policies, says Labour's Pat Osborne. It's an unconvincing start for Rishi Sunak. His woeful decision to reappoint Suella Braverman, just days after she was forced to resign for breaking ministerial rules, has already backfired. Whether Braverman's failure to sign off on measures which could have eased pressure at Manston Migrant Processing Centre were deliberate and callous, or just clumsy and incompetent, remains to be seen. What is clear is that the decision to reappoint a Home Secretary, who was only recently ousted for treading a very murky line between lack of competence and lack of integrity, was Sunak's alone. In attempting to win over the lunatic libertarian wing of the Conservative Party, Sunak has managed to create even more uncertainty at a time the country is crying out for safe and stable hands to guide us safely through an already painful cost-of-living crisis. Instead, it would seem that the ringmaster has changed, but it's the same old Tory circus which seems to feature a cast of clowns, an acrobat with his arm in a sling, and a fire-eater with no eyebrows. Sunak's decision to snub COP27 while also stopping the king from attending is something that should be of huge concern to us too. Alongside his opposition to onshore wind and support for tax breaks on oil companies, his absence in Egypt signals a worrying political downgrading of the climate crisis. It's as though he's unable to make the obvious connection between climate action, energy sovereignty, cheaper fuel bills and economic growth that Labour have spelt out loud and clear in our Green Prosperity Plan and plans for a great British energy company. Not for the national best interest. A general election could re-energise the tired parade of the same old faces and develop a national consensus, says North Dorset Lib Dems Mike Chapman. Normally, of course, we Liberal Democrats occupy the centre ground of politics – this last week, though, I admit I took to the high ground. That's to say, a group of us, duly wearing our yellow Lib Dem high-vis jackets, did a litter pick on the top of Bullbarrow. It's astonishing how much and what rubbish is just chucked out of car windows en passant. Nonetheless, we unashamedly enjoyed the walk, the view and the company. I recommend it. Equally unashamedly, the Liberal Democrats are calling for a general election. It won't happen because those in power, in Mrs T's memorable line, offer it. Our concern is that the country is being damaged, people are being hurt and enterprises are going under due to the instability. As the third Tory leader this year, Rishi Sunak has absolutely no mandate from the people and his parliamentary majority is owed to a discredited figure and the car crash of Brexit promises. Worse, they are about to embark on a further period of austerity. Axes will fall at the whim of a few mandarins and special advisers, tweaked by the dogmatic and factional interests of politicians. The people of this land will have absolutely no say. I'm very concerned that investment in levelling up, in radically improving social care and in protecting the environment will evaporate or be pushed back onto resource-strapped local government. In the self-induced crisis this government finds itself in, the instant reaction is to reduce risk, back the popular, shore up support in the one-third of the population who voted for you. We used to be a classy sort of nation – 
we seem increasingly to be one where people and parties look out for number one rather than the national best interest, a nation becoming xenophobic, where borders are ramparts, not gateways, and where global issues become matters for others because we're too busy. We need to reset and re-energise. That's the real reason we need a general election. It might even lead us to develop a national consensus. For a consensus, policies and plans must be so inclusive that everyone can buy into them, get behind them. Engaging our combined understanding and experience can find a way ahead, using the best people, not just the usual suspects. Management. It's how the best organisations work. Currently, however, we're heading for the alternative. Action taken in favour of the few. Leading, in a couple of difficult years, to yet more seesaw, zig than zag, fragmentation of the Union and further diminution of our standing as a country. The Lib Dems will always be there to help pick up the pieces. And that's it for this 1st November 2022 episode of the BV Online podcast. Do join us again next week for episode two. So until then, it's goodbye from me, Jenny Devitt. And it's goodbye from me, Terry Bennett.